Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our series on the book of Ephesians. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy! Well, today in churches all around the world... Palm Sunday is being celebrated. This is the day that we remember that Jesus rode triumphantly into Jerusalem and he was welcomed with what would have been the equivalent of a first century red carpet. It was rolled out for him, although it wasn't red. Predominantly, it was made of green palm branches from the palm trees in the area. So uh, let me read the account of that day from the Gospel of Mark. And it's not going to be on the screen, so I just want you to, to listen and imagine what it looked like. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, he sent two of his disciples ahead, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. And so they went and they found a colt outside in the street tied at a doorway and they untied it. And some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven." You know, in many ways, this event, which, by the way, is found in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know, you know it, it seems quite natural. Uh, the people are excited to welcome Jesus. He, he's become a, a celebrity to them. He, he's someone they believe can help them. He's one they believe who they think will deliver him from the oppression of the occupying Roman troops. But there's also something supernatural about this. When you read that story, did you ever notice it? Did you ever wonder how Jesus knew there would be a donkey's colt that had never been ridden, tied at a doorway? And did you ever wonder, how did Jesus know that the people, probably the owners, would just let the disciples take this valuable colt away? Now, Some people would say, well, Jesus could have prearranged it, but the scriptures don't read like he made arrangements. We have to remind ourselves that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus has supernatural knowledge. It's called omniscience. It's called the ability to to be all-knowing. So he would know that there would be a cult there that had never been written, and he would know that these people would allow the cult to be taken, maybe through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think of all the, 
all of this, and I realize how supernatural that day was, even though it reads very much in the natural. And then I think about all the supernatural things that we see Jesus do and participate when we read through the Gospels. He healed people. He delivered people from demonic oppression. He cast out demons. He withstood temptations from Satan himself. He calmed storms. He walked on water. He multiplied small amounts of food and literally fed thousands and thousands of people. He brought dead people back to life. And he himself was brought back from the dead. And so, knowing about the availability of a donkey's cult seems pretty simple. Seems pretty easy for one who can operate in the supernatural sphere. So, here's what I want us to take a moment to process. You and I, we, we think we operate predominantly in the physical world, the natural world, where our mode of operation is what you see is what you get. But what Jesus shows us is that there's a spiritual world where supernatural things happen and where supernatural events are normal. Now, in the first century, most people understood that, but over the centuries, as human knowledge has increased, the supernatural and the spiritual world has become emphasized less and less and even explained away. But it's God's word where we read all about this, so how can we explain it away? But... For us as Christ followers, we see in Scripture that there's both a natural sphere and a supernatural sphere to life, a physical and a spiritual world, and we need to be aware of that. And, and as followers of Christ, we need to understand the reality of both the physical world that we live in and operate in, but also that there's a spiritual world that, that we get glimpses of and that we see parts of. And, and the reason I'm focusing on this today is because we're in this study of the book of Ephesians and we're coming to the last chapter, the last part of, of chapter six, where God teaches us through the apostle Paul about the truth and the reality of the supernatural sphere and how we're supposed to understand it and actually live with that knowledge. Now, the first thing that we're going to see in this scripture is that there is a spiritual world, and there's actually a, a, a conflict, a battle going on between good and evil, between God and the devil. And it's not a physical battle with soldiers and guns. It's a spiritual battle. And the battleground is in the hearts and the minds of every human being. And that's the real battle. So let me share with you some verses from Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Here's the big picture. 
You know, we all have struggles in this life, but ultimately our struggles aren't with other human beings in the physical world. Our struggles are with the devil's spiritual forces of darkness and of evil, which oppose God's will in this world and in our lives. And now, uh, while this may sound like the theme for some type of spooky movie, uh, God's word is grounding us in the reality that there is a spiritual world. And in that spiritual world, the devil and the evil spiritual forces, demons, we call them, they're against God and against God's will. And, and their desire is to stop people from knowing God and following God. Now, I've always appreciated the writing of C.S. Lewis. And in his preface to the book that he wrote called The Screwtape Letters, he makes a very important insight about how we, how humanity looks at the topic of devils and demons. This is what he writes. There are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall into about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. You know, C.S. Lewis was a highly educated individual, and he was considered one of the intellectual giants of the 20th century. And he understood that there is a spiritual world where God and the devil operate beyond our physical sight. And it was this belief that led Lewis to consider this question. What if we could see what the temptation of our human souls looks like through the eyes of the other side, through the eyes of the demons? In other words, what if we could interview a demon? And that's the question uh, that became the premise of the book, The Screwtape Letters, which if you've not read it, I would encourage you to do. Now, while the book is a work of fiction, it provides a framework that matches up with the teaching of Scripture and how the devil, how Satan desires to draw humans away from God. And it's important for us to understand that there are struggles, conflicts, and issues, and et cetera, that, that, we're, that are going on in our day-to-day -day life that we see and experience in this physical world, but they're also being influenced in the spiritual world. And Jesus showed that to the disciples then and to us now through his word, through scripture. He shows us that God gives us a way to defend ourselves in a way to combat the forces of evil. So there's a real battle going on. And it's not one against flesh and blood, but it's against the, the spiritual forces of evil. And we have to acknowledge it and be aware of it. So I, I want us to, to go through a significant part of chapter 6 of Ephesians. And uh, we're going to look at this concept called the armor of God. And the first thing we're going to look at are those things that I call the defense. So let me begin in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand. Now, scholars point out that as God inspired the Apostle Paul to explain what we call spiritual warfare, Paul used 
this imagery of the armor that, are, that he was used to seeing Roman soldiers wear. And they point out that the picture of warfare here implies that we don't face a physical army. We face a spiritual army. Therefore, our weapons must be spiritual. And the reason the spiritual armor is needed, because as Paul writes, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. So, this scripture teaches us that if Christians have the armor of God on, we'll be able to stand firm against Satan. At times, spiritual warfare in which we find ourselves may be frightening. However, the only thing we have to fear if our armor is in place is fear itself. So consider what God inspired the other apostles to write about spiritual warfare. John wrote this, the one who is in you, meaning Jesus, is greater than the one who is in the world, meaning Satan. So, Jesus is greater than Satan. James wrote, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And the apostle Peter wrote, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. So, Scripture is utterly consistent with what we see Jesus dealing with in the Gospels. And so, we have this armor of God that we are supposed to put in place. And when we do, we can be firm in our faith. We can resist the devil, and he will flee from us. Now, I'm going to share with you some insights from a seminary professor named Max Anders who, who looks at each of the items of the armor of God and he will show us how we can use them to resist the devil's attempts to deceive us and to destroy us. So the first piece of equipment that we're going to focus on is the belt of truth. Now we're going to see that while they use this metaphor of physical armor, there's a spiritual tool associated with each one. So in verse 14, we see it says, stand firm there with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Now, the belt of truth pictures this large leather belt that Roman soldiers wore with their armor. It held their weapons. It kept their outer garments in place. But for us, the spiritual part of the belt of truth can be understood that as we accept the truth of the Bible and choose to follow it with integrity, we have the belt of truth wrapped around us. But that means we need to access God's word over and over so that we know this truth that is available to us. The next thing that he talks about is called the breastplate of righteousness. And, and we go back to verse 14. So he says, stand firm then. After he says the belt of truth, he says, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. Now, that breastplate of righteousness uh, pictures that the metal armor that was actually shaped like a human torso that, that Roman soldiers wore as part of their uniform. It was metal. It was there to protect them. And he, it can be understood for us, for uh, us in a spiritual context, that uh, we are, are choosing not to hang on to, not to harbor, not to, to nurture 
the sins that we struggle with in life. To put on the breastplate of righteousness means that we want to put on the righteousness of Christ and walk in righteousness, not in sin. We want to live according to the righteous ways of Jesus. So you see, all of these are associated, these pieces of armor, with how we follow Jesus. The next piece uh, in the armor is called the the shoes of peace. And and we read this, uh, that our feet should be fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. And, And so what he's talking about here are those hobnailed shoes which kept the soldier's footing sure in battle. So, so spiritually, to put on these shoes could be understood as believing the promises of God in the Bible and in the gospel, counting on them to be true in every way for us. You see, our faith then promises to yield peace in the Christian life. Oftentimes when I talk with someone who's, who's struggling, uh, a believer who's struggling in life, and, and you can tell that they're, they're not at peace. One of the things that I pray for them comes from the scriptures, from Philippians 4, 6, and 7, and it says that the, we pray that the peace of Christ would guard their hearts in Christ Jesus, that peace that passes all understanding. And, and so that's why it's important that we think about walking in the truth of the promises of the gospel because they give us peace. Then we come to the shield of faith. In the first part of verse 16, it says, take up the shield of faith. And it it, it pictures that part of the Roman soldier's armor that was this uh, uh, round shield that was used to deflect the blows from swords, from arrows, or spears of the enemy. So to take up the shield of faith can be understood that we're going to reject temptations to doubt. We're going to reject temptations to wander into sin. We're going to reject temptations to quit following Jesus. That we're going to actually use that shield to tell us the truth. And we're going to choose to walk in the basis of that truth. Doing what the word of God teaches us to do. Honoring God. That's how we hold up the shield of faith to the assaults of the evil one. The next part of the armor that we come to is the helmet of salvation. Now, Professor Max Anders points out this picture is the the Roman soldier's metal protective headgear. And uh, it's not referring to our salvation in Christ, the salvation that we receive when we put our faith in him. Rather, this helmet of salvation can be understood as resting our hope in the future and living in the world according to the value system of God's world. It's that idea that we believe in Jesus and we're going to live according to the values of the kingdom of God, not of the kingdom of the earth. We're going to put our trust in what God and God's word tells us. Now, when I started into this armor of God, I said I was going to break it up into defensive parts and offensive parts. So let's look at the offensive part of the armor. The first thing, and it's actually the last piece of the armor mentioned, is the sword of the spirit or the word of God. 
So he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And, and, and Anders, again, writes this. The, the sword of the Spirit pictures a soldier's weapon sheathed in his belt and used both for offense and defense. And it takes the sword of the Spirit, defined to us as the Word of God, to be understood as using Scripture, God's Word, in our life's situations to actually fend off the attacks of the enemy and actually put him to flight to resist the devil. Now, for an example of, of how we can use God's word to resist the devil's attempts to deceive us and to destroy us, all we have to do is go back to scripture and look at the temptation that Jesus experienced when he began his ministry. If you remember that passage of scripture, Jesus went out into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and nights. And while he was out there, the devil came to him and tempted him. He tempted him three different times. And every time he tempted him, Jesus used God's word, the sword of the spirit, to defeat the temptations of Satan. He turned to the promises of Scripture. So, for instance, obviously after you've fasted for that long amount of time, at some point you're going to experience some hunger. And so Satan comes to Jesus and says, if you are the Son of God, turn those stones into bread. Now, obviously that would be a temptation to someone who was fasting. But Jesus responded. He quoted from the book of Deuteronomy, and he said this. Scripture says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He used God's word, the sword of the Spirit, to defeat that temptation. So he gives us an example that demonstrates why we need to know God's word, why we need to have a, a daily diet, a daily intake of reading God's word and letting it influence our heart and our souls and our minds. We need to do that so we can resist the devil's attempts to deceive us, to tempt us, to draw us away from God. Now, as Paul begins to conclude this passage in Ephesians chapter 6, he tells us there's one more thing, and I am including this as part of the offensive weaponry, although it's not considered part of the armor of God, but it's prayer. In verse 18, Paul says this, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So this is this idea of, of using prayer offensively against Satan for ourselves, but also for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's, while it's not included in the armor of God, we know that prayer is one of the ways that we can defend ourselves against the devil. So uh, verse 18 says something specific. It says, pray in the spirit. What does that mean? One scholar writes this, the Greek word translated pray in, for pray in the spirit, it can have several different meanings. It can mean by means of, or with help of, or in sphere of, or in connection to. So praying in the spirit does not refer to words we're saying, rather it refers to how we are praying. Praying in the spirit is praying according to the spirit's leading. It's praying for things the Spirit leads us to pray for. 
So whenever you're praying according to the leading of the Spirit, you're, you're praying in the Spirit. So when the devil is trying to tempt us or deceive us, we can pray against the devil's attack. And Scripture tells us that we're supposed to pray in Jesus' name. We're supposed to say, I pray this in Jesus' name. That's why we close our prayers in his name or in Jesus' name. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, he commanded them, he said, until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, some people say, well, this is, this is great. This is a formula for me to get the things I want. Well, it's not about getting the things of this world. It's about praying in alignment with the will of God. When we pray in Jesus' name, we're saying we want to do what is in the will of God. And we obviously know that God's will is that we not fall to temptation from Satan, that we not fall away from God, that we grow closer to him, and that we encourage brothers and sisters to grow closer to him. And so it's important that we understand that that's what it means to pray in Jesus' name, to pray in accordance with God's will. Just this week, I had the opportunity to, to pray uh, at someone's house because they just felt like there was some type of uh, spiritual oppression there. And so uh, the elders and I went there and we spent time praying in that house and we cast out the forces of darkness, of Satan, in the name of Jesus. It sounds uh, unique to some people. Some people never thought do that, about doing that, but we have the power to say that we want things that are not of God to be gone in the name of Jesus because that is in God's will. It's an offensive weapon that we have against Satan. So big picture. There is more to this world that we live in that meets the eye. There is a physical world that we see all the time, but there's also a spiritual world, and there is spiritual warfare because the devil doesn't want us following Jesus and completing God's will in our lives. Now, uh, you know, I'm aware that uh, calling this warfare makes it sound very action-oriented, but as I said earlier, the spiritual battle is going to take place in our hearts and in our minds and that's why putting on the physical armor, excuse me, that's why putting on the armor of God isn't about doing physical things. It's about doing spiritual things, about girding up our minds with God's word and calling on the promises and praying in Jesus' name. Putting on the armor of God allows us to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ. And I'll close with one more thought. Guard your minds because the attack will be more subtle than you could ever imagine. And with that understanding, I want to share with you the words of Corey Tin Boom, who said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. So we need to guard our hearts and minds so that we will not be busy. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up for our closing song. And as I do that, I want to go into prayer for each of us. So if you would, bow your heads and let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love and your care for us. And we thank you that you have shown us that there is not just a physical world, but a spiritual world. And you've given us 
tools, spiritual armor to be able to defend ourselves from the attack of Satan and his demons, but, but also to go on the offensive, to be able to walk in our faith. And so, Lord, I pray for each one of us that, that we would be moved and guided by your spirit to take in God's word each and every day, that we would walk in the truth of what scripture tells us, that we'll confess our sins, that we'll resist Satan and temptation and that we will encourage one another in the faith. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you please stand for our final song? Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.